Psalm 146. I'm going to read the odd verses. So I'm going to read verses 1, 3, 5, and so on. And you're going to respond by reading the even verses, verses 2, 4, 6, and so on. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord gives up those who are held down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. There are loads and loads of different ways that you can crush a Christian. Uh, You may have other questions in your mind, but I think all of us probably dread the following three questions. One is, how are you getting on fighting sin? Another is, how's your prayer life going? And a third would be, how's your praise life going? If you ask one another any of those questions after our service this morning. I think instinctively, lots of us would avert our eyes and try to change the conversation because we are all too painfully aware of our shortcomings. We're all too aware that there are so many ways in which we are failing and struggling in our fight against sin. Each one of us knows that we would long to pray more and more deeply and with greater passion than we do. And the same is true of our praise life. And I think that perhaps partly explains why we often struggle with these hallelujah psalms. If you're new to the Bible, there's 150 psalms. They are songs or prayers that we can use to speak to and to pray to and to praise God. And the last five in the book, Psalm 146, beginning with the one today to the end, each one of them, if you look in your Bibles, begins and ends with a praise the Lord. That's why they're known as the Hallelujah Psalms. And many of us feel like we do a pretty rubbish job of doing that. You may read one of these Psalms and think, These are written for the spiritual tiggers of the world. And for most of my life, I feel like more of a spiritual eel. And that makes it really hard to engage with a psalm like this. Part of that's temperament. Many of us are glass half full kinds of people. And it's harder to praise God when life is hard. But you see, that, that scratches at a deeper itch. 
that assumes that the only real way we can truly praise God is if our hearts are full of the greatest songs of worship you could ever sing, and the only expression on your face is joy. The problem with that way of thinking is that for the vast majority of us, that is a very rare experience. Because life is hard. If we think praise is dependent on our circumstances, we simply won't think we can praise God for the majority of our lives. And for many of us, that's our struggle with a psalm like this. Our struggle is that we start in the wrong place, and because we start in the wrong place, this psalm feels like it grates. Like it's calling us to do something that we can never, ever do. And so what we need to do this morning is see that the reason that we praise doesn't begin with us, and it doesn't begin with our circumstances. And if we can get those two things right, then we can praise as this psalm envisages. This psalm is describing a way of praising when life is not rosy and when everything isn't going well. This psalm tells you that praise is for all of life and not just for Christmas. And that's what I want us to unpack as we begin a new year in 2024. Psalm 146, three simple sections. A commitment to keep, a warning to heed, and a blessing to embrace. Start with a commitment to keep. Praise the Lord are the first few words in our psalm, and they are written in the Hebrew as a command. And they are written as a command to all God's people. But it's more than that. This is picked up personally by the author of the psalm who speaks for himself. Praise the Lord, my soul, I will praise the Lord. And when does the psalmist say he's going to do that? I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. This psalm is not a sing when you're winning psalm. This is not a blue skies and bright sunshine psalm. This is a psalm for all of life. It is a commitment to praise when we're losing, when it's raining, and when our hearts are heavy and sad all my life for as long as I live. I don't know every single person in this room. But I know enough of people to know that as you look back on 2023, there are some things in the year that has gone by that have been really hard. And you may read this psalm, and if you start with your circumstances... This psalm sounds really, really hard. That's the pinch point of this psalm. If you start with a reflection on all that you've been through and focus on all that has been hard, this psalm can feel a little bit like the straw or maybe the rock that breaks what feels like a fragile back. That's the tension of this psalm that I want us to dig into this morning. Because... Actually, there is hope here. Yes, it's a command. I'm not pretending 
but it's not. And as with any command God gives us, the command of God itself is sufficient reason for us to obey it. But when it comes to praise, commands aren't given on their own. If I could put it this way, exhortation isn't the only motivation to praise. We're not just told, praise, 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 and left trying to do all of that out of sheer willpower. The gospel is on display here. The gospel sits alongside and underneath and empowers this command, and it completely changes the way we understand the psalm. Let me help you see that. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if I did, I would see not one if I asked how many of you have obeyed verse 2 for all of your life. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Not one of us have done that. All of us should do that, but not one of us has done that. Not one of us can do that. Not perfectly, not flawlessly, but Jesus has. I don't know whether you've ever thought about this, but at various points in Jesus' life, he would have read or perhaps sung all of the Psalms in our Bible. And if you'd caught up with Jesus after he'd been at synagogue, when they read Psalm 146 together, and you'd ask Jesus, Jesus, how's your praise life going? Jesus could have honestly said, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Every single unseen moment of Jesus' life was a life of praise to his Father. He lived that life of perfect, joyful praise, even when the vast majority of the crowds who would follow him didn't believe him. I, I don't know how hard you find it standing up as a Christian in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. It is hard. There's this little nugget that comes up in John's gospel that reminded me this week just how much harder it was for Jesus. So as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem for the very last time, he's had three years of supernatural, identity-confirming miracles. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead. He's entering into the capital city on a donkey with everybody knowing that he is there anointed to be king. And then John writes this. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. All of that opposition from the vast majority of the people that he had come into the world to care for. And Jesus kept praising God kept praising his father all the very way to the cross. His whole life is one of praise to his heavenly father. And the key thing we need to see is Jesus is where our praise begins. Not with ourselves, not with our circumstances, but in the wonderful truth that Jesus has kept this commitment perfectly for us. And because that's true, it completely changes how we understand this psalm. 
So we don't read it just as an exhortation, as a command, as something we've got to do. We can't do this by ourselves. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and by the sheer force of our will approach 2024 by saying, I will praise God more. We need to start with Jesus as everything in our Bible begins and ends with Jesus. I can't keep Psalm 146 verse 2 perfectly. Neither can you. But Jesus did. And that changes everything about how we praise. Because now when we come to this command, I'm not sitting there as a Christian feeling discouraged, feeling the weight of my sin and burden and hit by another command to do something more that feels hard. Now my first response when I read Psalm 146 is I look to a Savior who so loved me that he kept that command perfectly in my place. And now... Now I want to praise God because of who he is. Now my life has been transformed by one who would willingly do everything that we remember about Christmas and make it possible for me to love God and praise him with my life. The question is, will I? Will you in 2024? Will we start, when we read a psalm like this, will we start by looking to Jesus rather than our circumstances, rather than our lives? Will we ask for his help to love and praise God, whatever happens in this year to come? That's where this psalm begins, with a commitment to keep, but only because Jesus has perfectly kept it for us. Secondly, as a warning to heat, because everything else will disappoint. In, in verse 5 and onwards, the psalmist is going to explain why we should praise God. For the first verses 3 and 4, though, he explains what we shouldn't praise instead. One of the biggest temptations we are all going to face in 2024 is trusting something or someone other than God. I don't know about you. Uh, I am not personally, I don't think, in danger of putting my trust in Prince Harry or Prince William. But this psalm is not just speaking about royal princes. It's speaking about anyone or anything that we cling to as our anchor when things are hard. Anyone that we turn to and trust in because they're an authority figure. They're someone that we place our confidence in. For you, that might be a doctor or a bank balance. It might be a politician or a teacher. It might be a Christian brother or sister that you know and love and have done for many, many years. Or it may be someone who you don't know personally but follow online And they significantly shape the way that you do and think about things. It's not wrong to trust people, but God gives us loads of reasons why we shouldn't put our ultimate trust in people. Our hearts turn the things we trust into things we worship. And only God should be worshipped. But that's not the reason here. 
the best of men and women are sinful men and women at best. And we all know one another and others well enough to know that the longer we go on in our relationships with people, we will end up failing and disappointing people. But that's not the reason here either. Verses 3 and 4 don't say anything about these people being immoral or sinful or self-serving in any way. The reason we shouldn't put our ultimate trust in people is that they can't save themselves, let alone us. Every human being will die, and when they die, their promise dies with them. Everything they have guaranteed ends at the grave. There is a very real sense in which, on that day, every verse 3, um, it literally says, son of Adam, son of man, or son of the earth, that's the literal translation, will return to the earth and their plans come to nothing. And this is a really good time of year to remind ourselves of that important thing. Every single one of us has got hopes and dreams for 2024. Psalm 146 asks, who is at the heart of your hopes? On whom do your dreams depend? If we, in an ultimate sense, are putting any of those things for the future on a fellow finite mortal man, we are setting ourselves up to be disappointed. And that's what this psalm was written to save us from. That's what we're going to see thirdly in verses 5 to 10. The psalmist describes a blessing to embrace because God delights to love us. Uh, the blessing itself is in verse 5. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. God does not want you to enter into 2024 building your hopes and your dreams on sand. He wants you to build your hopes and your dreams in him. And to trust him with everything that is going to come. Because unlike mortal princes who die, verse 10, the Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Which means there's never going to come a point when something that God said cannot be trusted because he's died. He never dies. And everything that he has said, he's good for. Which means when we get into 2024... We need to remember the beautiful character of God. So this psalm in verses 6 to 9 describes two wonderful aspects of God. Verse 6 focuses on the power of God. Verses 7 to 9 explain how the power of God is used to care for the people of God. So why should we trust in God, not princes? Verse 6, because he has a limitless power. He's the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. There is nothing that God can't do or provide. If there's anything in your life that God has not yet given, it is not because he can't. It's because he has chosen to withhold whatever it is that may be because that is not the greatest thing you need to become more 
like Jesus. And not only is nothing beyond him because he's the maker of all things, his character is always, always faithful. He's a very helpful Christian writer called Derek Kidner. It's a lovely way of contrasting God with the leaders of verse 3. With men, says Derek, with men, the will is lacking as often as the power. People just don't want to do what they say they might want to do. And then they lack the power to do it. But not God. God is always, always faithful. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's a lovely abstract description of a God who might be there somewhere. What does that really, really look like? Verses 7 to 9. This is where the psalmist shows us how God uses his power for our good. Just listen. Ollie emphasizes so helpfully in the lead. Listen to how actively God is involved in all of the specifics of life. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets prisoners free. He gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. He sustains the foreigner. He sustains the fatherless. And the widow. Not anyone in this room knows what is going to happen in 2024. But we know. We absolutely take it home to the bank. Know. That God. Will provide for us. Every day. God is not taking a sabbatical. Next year. He is going to be as faithful and as loving and as all-sufficiently generous to his people in 2024 as he has always been because his faithfulness will never, ever end. That's who he is. It's what verses 7 to 9 are describing, who he is. But they're also describing who we are. You just look at verses 7 to 9. Exclude the very last line of verse 9, which is describing another group. All of the adjectives, verses 7 to 9, are describing one group of people. So you skip through that list just on your page. And you tell me, maybe in your head, which is the odd one out? Look at all those adjectives. All describing one group of people. The odd one out is the righteous. And when you read the righteous in the Psalms, it's a reference to righteous by faith, which is exactly what Ian was talking about, not by things that we do. What really struck me this week is seeing afresh what unites God's people. What is our common experience? The people who receive this faithful care of God all struggle. We find life hard. There are challenges and difficulties, and sometimes they seem overwhelming. And the world outside may think that we are the outcast and the ones on the fringes. But here's the big takeaway of verses 7 to 9. You've heard the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. That is not what the Bible teaches. Verses 7 to 9. God helps those who who can't help themselves. 
And all of us are going to need to be reminded of that in the year to come. The world out there, our flesh, our sinful nature, and the devil are all going to be telling you at some point over the next year that when life gets hard, it's because God doesn't care. Not only does his word tell us the exact opposite is true, but Christmas proves the opposite is true. What does Christmas tell you? Christmas tells us that the uncreated maker chose to become oppressed by his creation. Christmas tells us that the self-sufficient one willingly became hungry and needy. Christmas tells us that the one who in all of his eternal majestic glory is the one before whom every creature in heaven and earth should bow would willingly be beaten and battered like a foreign criminal. And who would Jesus be willing to do that for? The ones who love him and praise him? No. The ones who hate him. The wicked people who deserve his judgment. That, my dear friend, is the grace foundation of this psalm. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus first lived on the earth, God's kingdom began to break into our world. And so many of these wonderful attributes of God were seen lived out in Jesus' interaction with people. So Jesus wonderfully cared for the oppressed. He miraculously fed the hungry. He literally gave sight to the blind. He cared for the fatherless and the window. You read through the Gospels, and if you've never done that before, please speak to me afterwards. I would love you to go home with a Bible in your hand so you can read what Jesus did when he was on this earth. As you read those accounts, you are reading the breaking in of the new kingdom into our dark world of sin and darkness. And one day, Jesus is going to return and finish that recreation. But you can only look forward to that day if, in our psalm, verse 5, if the helper of God, The God of Jacob is your helper and your hope is in the Lord, your God. That is the ultimate reason Jesus came. Jesus did not come mostly to help some people. He didn't come mainly to feed some people or to heal some people. He came to die for sinful people like me and you if you would trust him. And do you know why you can trust him? Why do you not trust princes? Because even the son of man, son of Adam, returns to the earth. Jesus is the one true son of man whose plans did not die when he entered the grave. His plans were fulfilled When he entered the grave, for three days later, he rose from the grave and now lives so that you know you can trust the one who has defeated death. And for every single one of us who trusts in, whose hope is in that risen Savior, there is hope for us 
even if this year brings you the hardest, the most challenging, the most unexpected challenges of your life. That's Garrett Kell's experience. Garrett is the pastor of Delray Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. And his eldest daughter, Eden, who's the one in the middle of that photo, perfectly healthy 15-year-old girl, 10 days ago, she started having a seizure. And the seizures got worse and worse and didn't stop for a total of 20 hours. Things got so serious for her that the doctors have had to sedate her. She's been sedated ever since. And they are desperately trying to find out what autoimmune disease this dear young lady has that is putting her life at risk. On Friday, uh, Garrett, the dad, went in the helicopter with his daughter when she was transferred to another specialist hospital. And this is what he wrote. Today, far above the treetops, God granted me a few moments of unique peace. I was still sorrowful. Eden's suffering hadn't ceased. Her mother's heart was still aching as she drove beneath us. Yet there was peace. Deep peace. It was the peace that Jesus spoke of when he said, in me you may have peace In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Christ, there's a peace that can't be found in the world. It's a peace that says to seizures and comas and days of silence from a typically talkative young lady, you are not in control. It's a peace that proclaims Jesus has overcome the world. He has risen from the dead. Jesus is alive to provide peace to our daughter, her siblings, and the many who love her. Jesus is the king of peace, and in him we can hope. That's a peace that leads to praise in the hardest of circumstances. And it begins and ends with Jesus. Do you know him? Let's pray. Great God in heaven, we bow before you humbled afresh by our sheer folly in trying to put our trust and confidence in anything or anyone other than you. Father, we bless you that you have shown us not only the extent of your power, but how you use your power for the love and the care of your people. And we thank you that that great loving power 
is the hope of your people when things are at their very hardest. Father, we want to lovingly pray for Garrett and Carrie, his wife, and for their children, and especially for Eden. We ask that this new team of specialists would soon be able to find out what it is that has affected her so seriously. Would you protect and preserve her life and give great grace to her family and those who are grieving and, uh, and just finding life has been utterly upended this Christmas. But Father, in the midst of all of that, we want to hear what Garrett has found to be true and that every Christian finds to be true in our trials. That in the midst of all that is impossibly and agonizingly and heartbreakingly hard, there is a peace in knowing that Jesus has overcome the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for perfectly keeping every part of this word. Thank you that as we trust in you, we come to the one who makes it possible for our lives to be so completely changed that we don't look at your word and think it's a mere legal instruction and demand upon our lives. Our hearts have been changed so that we want to be like you, changed by the power of your spirit so that we always bring praise to God. Father, we pray that in this year to come, you would so transfix our eyes upon Jesus that when things are hard, we praise you because of him. Father, I ask and pray that for every single person in this room, for those joining us online, you would please give us such a great confidence in our salvation in Jesus that we would be a people who praise you all the days of our lives. And Father, as we do that, we pray that the witness of the gospel is what that would live out and ring out from our lives. We know that you do not Teflon wrap Christians so that we are impervious to pain and suffering. In whatever this year brings, Father, we pray that a watching world would look on and see that our hearts are so different because of Jesus, that there is a joy and a hope in our helper that no circumstance can rob from us. Please, gracious God, would you not only sustain us in whatever you call us to this year, but would you make us witnesses to a needy world in those very moments. Would our lives be full as we are now going to sing. That our hope in life and death is Jesus Christ and him alone. And in his name we pray. Amen.